You're listening to the OT's Gone Rogue podcast. Today, I'm speaking with therapist and mindset coach, Raya Lynn, all about personal growth and professional development as therapists, coaches, entrepreneurs, and complex human beings. So stay tuned. Welcome to the OT's Gone Rogue podcast, where we share real stories about real OTs who are choosing to think outside the box and do things differently. I'm your host, Melissa Lapointe. Over the years, I've had the pleasure of connecting with the most remarkable therapists who are finding their way as thought leaders, change makers, and heart-led entrepreneurs. They've helped to inspire me to think big and dig deep in my own healing journey. And it's now time to bring these conversations to a bigger stage. Together, we're going to share stories about overcoming adversity, finding our people, and taking the road less traveled, even when it feels messy and uncomfortable. Okay, are you ready to join us? This is the OT's Gone Rogue podcast. What's up, everyone? Melissa LaPointe here, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the OT's Gone Rogue podcast. How are you doing? Are you as excited as I am about today's interview? I'm not going to lie, we packed a lot of stuff into this one. We're going to talk about the challenges of being location independent, because yes, it's not all rainbows and unicorns when you can work from wherever. We're also doing a deeper dive into addictions, mental health, and burnout, touching on not only how this relates to client work, but how this relates to ourselves as therapists on a personal level. You're going to hear more about dropping the OT title, the challenges of being called to help others, and why coaches need coaches. And for those of you who don't know my guest today, Raya Lynn is an occupational therapist and psychosomatic mindset coach. She has extensive experience supporting clients navigating life transitions. This includes addressing stress and burnout, anxiety, depression, addictions and substance use, trauma, and self-development. She's a Canadian that's now based in Bali, Indonesia, and Rhea's passion lies in supporting clients to break free from the beliefs of their mind and find confidence, clarity, and ease. Sounds amazing, right? And after the year we've just had, we could all use more Rhea's in our life. So without further ado, let's roll out this interview. Welcome everyone to another episode. And this episode is special because not only is it with another occupational therapist, but I have the pleasure of interviewing someone who is also an entrepreneur, who loves mindset coaching as much as me from the sounds of it, who is also originally from British Columbia. We'll talk about where you are or where you will be soon in the world. Um, I am talking to somebody, so again, someone who loves coaching, sounds like we'll talk about if you're a minimalist or not based on your lifestyle. I'm guessing there's a little bit of minimalism rolled in there. And again, you know, there's just, oh my goodness, so many things we can go into. So let's start off. Where are you geographically at the moment? Thank you for the lovely introduction. Those are amazing topics I can't wait to dive into. And geographically, currently Campbell River, Vancouver Island, um, one of the northern towns, the last one that doesn't have a Costco, if that means anything to our fellow Canadians. Um, Yeah, that's where I'm at. Love it. And so just for a reference, so we do not know each other. 
we were talking before we started recording about how, so we're both based in British Columbia. Uh, for those of you who are not in British Columbia or don't know Canada very well. So we are about hmm, seven and a half hours apart. It takes me about six hours to get to Vancouver. And then by the time we include the ferry, we're what, seven and a half, eight hours apart. Um, we've been talking through social media and we've never physically met, but it feels like I know you, you're one of those people. <laughs> That's what happens in this day and age, doesn't it? Totally. So you've spent a lot of time in Bali. You're planning on going back soon. When was the first time that you went to Bali? And how did you end up choosing Bali? So the first time that I went to Bali was January 2018. My favorite number is seven. So I always try to fly on the seventh day. So I believe it was January 7th, if, if I'm remembering correctly. And I decided to go there because a friend of mine had recommended it, saying that there's a lot of yoga there, there's a lot of incredible vegan food, and that I must check it out. So I went strictly on his recommendation. And I had intended to stay there for three weeks and then go onwards to Thailand and travel the whole Southeast Asia loop. And I never took my flight to Thailand. I never left. I stayed for six months straight, and then I got kicked out of the country after those six months because you can only stay that long as a visitor. Um, so that was my, my first stint there, and that's why I went. All right. So another question, and I can give my answer too, but you are now location independent, correct, with the work that you're doing? Yeah, only recently, actually. I mean, COVID has had a lot of ups and downs, of course. One of the ups for me being a the ability to actually bring my practice online, which has always been in the back of my mind. I'd love to. My partner is a programmer, so he's always been location independent. And I was the one that was keeping us wherever we were because I loved the work that I did and I wanted to stay with the client. So the fact that I got to then bring my practice online, I'm sure you can relate to this. I was like, I get to have my amazing clients and I get to be anywhere in the world and visit my family, visit the places I love to go. Um, so I, I feel really grateful that I was able to reap the benefits of this experience. Okay, so you are location independent, I am location independent, and there are many, many benefits that come with this type of work, but let's not kid ourselves. It's not all rainbows and unicorns. So my question for you, what has been one of the bigger challenges to being location independent with your work? Mm, I love this question, Melissa, and I can't wait to hear your answer. I would say the, the first thing that comes to mind is around getting out of my own way. So this is something that I help my clients with all the time. And then getting to practice what I preach is another story, of course, right? <laughs> so really day after day, showing up online, showing up for my clients and showing up for myself, um, I, I've really found that the best way for me to do that is remembering it's not about me. So if I have a fear around showing up on Instagram stories or however it might be, I remember my, I would love for someone to hear this message right now. And it doesn't matter what my hair looks like. It doesn't matter what I'm wearing. It doesn't matter what filter I use. What I actually care about is if this person receives the message that they are enough, they are loved or whatever it is that they might want to hear right now. So I, I think that would be the biggest thing is, is having to show up in order to be seen and to be found in the online space and being the sole one that's doing that. So picking up my own slack. Mm, good one. Good one. I like that. 
Um, so my, my response to that question, so what I find most challenging would be shutting off, you know, turning. So because I can work all the time, I have the tendency. So I feel as though we all are addicted to something in some capacity. We can talk more about that and unpackage that a little bit more soon. And Mm. one of my coping strategies is definitely work. And if I'm not careful, because I love what I do, I love what I do. And if I'm not careful, I can easily turn into a workaholic. And being location independent, yes, it means I can work from wherever. Mm. The challenge to being location independent is that I can work from wherever, (laughs) right? So being able to have really healthy boundaries with my phone, having really healthy boundaries with my screen time, with my schedule. you know, saying no, saying no when a friend, oh, you're self-employed, you can just meet me up for coffee whenever and being able to say no and, and honor my time and my energy. I say yes too sometimes, don't get me wrong. Um, but that's definitely one of the challenges. And I would also say that's one of the blessings for this type of work. Uh, but it's definitely something that I, you know, this last year going into 2020, that was one of my goals. One of my business goals was to, I had a certain amount of days that I wanted to totally unplug and take off without my business suffering. Uh, So yeah, that was one of my goals. And that's why I like having so many Wi-Fi free dead zones. You know, we can go to the mountains in so many different directions and we drop off cell service right away. When we go camping, we don't you know, your phone's off. You don't have a choice. And it's, uh, it's something that I really love and I need to do more of. Yeah. Hmm. I love that you brought up that point around we're all addicted to something in some shape or form. And I think that was a beautiful highlight for what's to come in this conversation potentially. <laughs> well, so this is a, a nice into that. You have been doing some really neat work um, in terms of so addiction and recovery. And I love that you you know, you started in Canada, you've done a little bit of work in private and public health. And then I want to hear more about the work that you were doing in Bali. So you were working with some addiction and recovery treatment centers. Um, fun fact, two years ago, I was trying to find a therapist and to find a therapist who works with therapists with the issues that I wanted to work on was actually very challenging. I am a believer that everybody should have a therapist or a coach in their life, maybe not all the time, but a lot of the times. And I finally, after doing a lot of research, found a therapist that I felt like would be a good fit. Uh, I reached out to her and two days later I got an email from her. She was in Bali and she was working at an addictions and recovery center and was no longer taking clients in British Columbia. (laughs) I was like, oh, darn it. (laughs) Um, So it was really interesting, you know, whenever I was reading more and doing more research on the work that you've been doing, uh, this is something I'm very fascinated about. And, you know, when I was working in pediatrics was definitely when, I started to go down that path in terms of working in more family-centered, but I was working with a lot of children at risk, a lot of, you know, we had a very good working relationship with the Ministry of Children and Families, and often when children were apprehended, I would be one of the first ones to do the assessment, to really look at where they were developmentally, and to be supporting the caregivers. 
And through the work that I was doing in the community, definitely started going further down into the science of attachment and attunement. We have a very high First Nations population, really opened my eyes in terms of cultural sensitivity, looking at intergenerational trauma. And yeah, it's definitely something in terms of mental health and having a holistic approach to family wellness, you know, it's something my eyes were really opened uh, on a different, you know, in a different way. So I'd love to hear more about how you've started doing this work in British Columbia and then it carried you across the world and what that work looked like from, you know, from your holistic client-centered OT perspective. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that about your own journey and seeking out a therapist. And then she happens to be in Bali. A lot of incredible people find their way to Bali. So I'm not surprised to hear that. Um, In terms of my, my journey a little bit, I started out in mental health and addiction inpatient and this was my dream job. Like from the get go, I was like, I want to work in mental health and addiction. And I actually had the interview. I was sobbing afterwards thinking there was no way I was going to get that job. I had zero experience. They were looking for somebody that wasn't fresh out of school that was really invested and involved and knew what they were doing. And that was absolutely not me yet keyword yet. I'll always say this. And so anyways, I'm not sure how I got the job. I got the job and I loved a lot of parts of it. I love being able to support clients. I love being a part of a team. The part that didn't sit well for me was that it it was holistic in some ways, but it wasn't holistic in all ways. And what, what I mean by that is I see wellness in like a zoomed out perspective, all domains, all areas. For me, the food is really important. The daylight, the ability to do what you want and your occupations get to be yours. Your entry into the workforce is yours, not what society thinks you should be doing. Um, So that was not sitting so well with me where I was the one to get them back into the workforce as an occupational therapist. And that was very structured in the way that, again, society thought. So I was feeling this, a lot of sensation in my body that was saying, no, this is not for you, Rhea. Like there's more out there. And little by little, I've learned to listen to that voice. And I always talk with this about my clients again, you know, there's that little whisper, there's that little something that's telling you, this isn't the right fit. This isn't your path. This is a part of it, but there's something else going forward. So I... How did all that happen? My goodness, my story even confuses me because there's so many logistical pieces. Anyways, I ended up in Bali again. I was there. I went back for work. I went back to Bali. So when I landed in Bali for the second time, I had all of these opportunities presented to me. And that might seem a little, you know, the universe was supporting me, but not in that way. You know, I I was arriving and I had a clinical skill set. So Having that in Bali was a little bit different than all the healers and the more spiritual approaches to wellness that were there. So I sent a few emails and I I ended up finding um, some really incredible centers that were very holistic. So they were offering pranayama, breathing exercises. They were offering excursions to go surfing and they were offering psychology sessions. They were offering group sessions. And so I really got to go in and learn under be, be taught under a psychologist and, and really got invested in the more clinical side of treating addiction and ran groups there. And so that's kind of my journey into seeing, wow, there was another way. There is another way that supports people in this holistic way that I knew was possible. I just hadn't really set my eyes on it yet. So that was 
where I found what was possible in terms of working in a holistic way and seeing the transformations that occurred for these folks when they were in these settings. So in these settings, were they people that had traveled to Bali to experience these healing journeys? Were they locals? Were they, I'm assuming there were not a lot of locals and maybe that is not, maybe that's an incorrect assumption. Who, who were you working with? Mainly foreigners that would come to these centers. So whether they be from UK or Australia, and unfortunately the reason they came to Bali was because the stigma is so strong in their own home countries that they wouldn't necessarily want to go and seek treatment there. They could go escape their country and go to Bali to receive treatment. And on the plus side, it's also a lot cheaper to be in a developing country where the costs are lower for food and for living. So there was also the benefit of that. So yes, foreigners. And that stigma, my goodness, you know, the the shame and the stigma that comes with that. Were you working with many health professionals? So not professionally. I mean, were there many health professionals that were attending the rehab, the recovery programs? Oh, interesting. Uh, interesting question. Um, there was one EMT outside of that. No, one out of all the people that I saw. Mm. Interesting. When I first started, and I've shared this story before, but when I first started my coaching, so, and again, we could have this conversation around coaching as within our scope and (laughs) as a tool. So I have utilized coaching as one of the tools in my toolbox for many, many years. But when I started a more formalized coaching program, so it was the Women's Health Coaching Program through the Integrative Women's Health Institute. That's the the in when I officially decided to embark on a new journey or a more complex journey. Uh, so this mm-hmm. was in 2016. And I really, my intention was to support health professionals who were burning out and who were struggling in terms of substance dependency and how they were navigating that. So to utilize my skill set, you know, in terms of mindset, performance, leadership, but now with health coaching. And part of the instructions that we were given in our program, it was, you know, find out where your people are hanging out. So I started doing searches on where health professionals who were working on overcoming addictions, substance abuse, where were they hanging out? I couldn't find it. Couldn't find anything. Couldn't find, I was finding all kinds of resources and research pertaining to the health professionals themselves in how they were supporting their clients, but I could not find anywhere where they were hanging out. And so I brought this back to my coaching program and I said, okay, this is a challenge because I'm calling BS. I am calling BS that there are not health professionals. We know the rates of burnout and where are they? And the advice that I was given by our master coaches, it was okay. You know, yes, you've hit a sensitive topic. A lot of health professionals don't feel comfortable. There aren't, aren't a lot of places maybe that they feel comfortable hanging out, you know, a Facebook group or so Mm. what the advice was, was you need to start sharing more of your journey. You need to stand on a bigger stage. You need to be the lighthouse and shine your light brightly so that others can find you and they will see strength in you sharing your story. 
And boy, talk about making me uncomfortable. Mm. (laughs) So I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what I signed up for. Like I can (laughs) hold space. I can coach. I can, you know, I'm the keeper of the secrets. I will, um, and I can hold the giants on my shoulders, no problem. But you want me to talk about my stuff on a bigger stage? Like, wait a minute. (laughs) And then it's the flip reaction of, well, I can do that after I've had a few drinks. But doesn't Mm. that, you know, and that's part of it, right? It's like, well, but that's not appropriate either but my you know I'm very comfortable doing professional growth and workshops and like there are lots of things I'm more comfortable doing on a bigger stage Mm. but that was more you know yeah it was really interesting hearing um having that experience not just hearing it so then I did finally find something uh related to vicarious trauma it was very much geared towards vicarious trauma substance dependency and numbing but geared towards the healers and ironically it was it was published by I don't remember the exact name of the institute but it was like the Melissa Healing Institute or the Melissa, Melissa was in the name when I found it. So this was early, early 2017 when I found this huge publication and these resources. And I thought, well played universe, well played. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So it's something that I've certainly been very fascinated about. Um, Yeah. And my, you know, my ears perk up when I'm hearing about the work that other people are doing, because I do Mm. think that it's something we can't talk about burnout. We can't talk about, Um, You know, there are so many therapists who really, you know, we're doing, we're, we're doing really hard work and we don't always have our own support system, our own network and understanding, you know, especially when I started working more in women's health and so many practitioners in women's health are so driven to work in women's health because of their own stories you know, that is what's motivating them. And they are so passionate to do this work that their boundaries are that much more, you know, we have, we have some work to do. Cause it's like, I can be anyone's healer and I will show up and I will go above and beyond. And it's like, yeah. And I'll talk to you in a couple of years and I'll see how you're doing. You know, it's not sustainable. Uh, So as we're doing this work and as we are, you know, opening these, these different Pandora's boxes and addressing the underlying trauma, you know, it's something that I don't think we talk about as enough as healthcare professionals and as therapists and doing our own work. Yeah. I think this is a really potent point, Melissa, and especially around, it's such a heavy weight to carry to not be able to share what is alive for you. And all of these things that just keep piling on, you know, I won't tell anyone, I won't be able to share this because I need to uphold this certain persona because I'm a therapist or I'm an occupational therapist or I help people. And it's not necessarily taught in schools as well. Like in our, in my master's program, it was, you know, keep, keep your personal life to yourself. And even the things that you wear, I was talking with a teacher friend of mine right? Like you have to wear clothes that are not provocative and provocative meaning like you can't show a collarbone, you can't wear a bathing suit, you can't have a photo of yourself in a bathing suit on your Instagram and how all of those small, seemingly small things pile up to you not allowing yourself to be the fullest expression and not able to seek out the support that you might need because of the stigma that you're describing. I I think I'm, I'm so on the same page as you with that. And especially as we venture down the path of entrepreneurship and sharing your stories, you know, there's so much emphasis on sharing your story and being authentic and being vulnerable. 
and all of a sudden as professionals, as therapists, you know, it's like, ah, but this doesn't feel congruent to what I was taught in school. So this is a great, this is actually one of the questions that I had had for you. If we are thinking about, because we both love mindset work, you know, we both love really looking at the thoughts, the belief systems, you know, the perspectives that people have, including ourselves. And what would be some beliefs that have been ingrained in us in OT school that are that beliefs that do not necessarily serve us as entrepreneurs? So ways that we've been hardwired in OT school that doesn't necessarily serve us as entrepreneurs. Is there anything that comes to mind? I'd like to talk, mm. to unpackage this a little bit with you. Mm. The first thing that, that comes to mind is around frameworks that we were ingrained. I mean, at least my perspective was that we were ingrained to use OT frameworks specifically, and that's inside of our scope. Yet, there's so many amazing techniques and tools and approaches that are not technically under what was taught as OTs. And I think as an entrepreneur, I have really allowed myself to utilize other approaches to care and especially mindset work. I wasn't taught this in OT school per se. Some of it, yes, but a lot of others, other perspectives I've, I've learned through courses that I've taken. Authentic relating principles are really core to the work that I do as well as a lot that's influenced by psychology and more of a, a clinical psychology um, perspective. And I think that allowing myself to break free, free from the belief of I have to operate as only inside of the OT box was really transformative. And I actually had a huge fear around my OT colleagues thinking that what I was doing was, you know, not a not acceptable, not appropriate. How could she be doing that? You know, I was always the one coming to OT classes with my essential oils and teaching yoga classes to people at breaks. And I already had this, this way of um, seeing myself through their eyes that I was feeding into. And I really allowed myself to break free from that and practice in the way that I saw generated results for clients and remembering it wasn't about me. Like I said earlier, it's yeah. not about me. It's about what serves the client and how can I best meet their needs. I love that. And boy, you spoke to my heart in terms of, you know, when I first ventured into the world of prenatal postnatal health, I I could connect the dots and I was constantly getting trained because I was being told again and again, you know, I had seven years of pediatric experience, early intervention, mental health, and I wanted to work in prenatal postnatal care. And I was told, no, OTs don't work in prenatal postnatal health. So I was constantly going off doing training that was never targeting OTs, but then I would come in, you know, come back with the frame of reference, the theoretical model, and I would connect the dots. And I did a lot more of that in the beginning because I was scared of the OT police, because I was scared <laughs> that someone was going to come along and say, you cannot do this as an OT. So for 2014, 2015, I practiced very defensively in that mm. anyone could have looked at my 
my intake forms, my treatment notes, my program design at any point. And if they would have questioned me, I could have written a report in about two days. <laughs> it was exhausting. It was not sustainable um, because those were beliefs that I was carrying with me that, you know, this, we have to stay within the box. And I was constantly, I was like a ping pong ball bouncing on the perimeter of this box all the time until finally, you know, it was really 2017 that I felt comfortable letting go of that. And that's when I really stepped out and said, I'm doing this, I'm letting go of the OT title. And I'm doing Mm. this from my heart, from my head, from my gut. You know, my OT experience is guiding me. And I took a hiatus from the OT world, so to speak, for a few years. I was still targeting OTs. I was working with OTs, but I was doing it very much from my coaching consultative model that really was heavily based on my work that I'd been doing in business at that point. So really around high performance coaching, leadership coaching, mindset coaching, doing a lot in terms of sales and marketing, uh, doing a lot of work in terms of money mindset. And And yeah, then just recently came back, you know, felt so confident in what I was doing, um, confident in my business model that I came back and licensed as an OT again, because I thought, no, this is, you know, I can do this as an OT, but I needed to find my own way for a while. And it was scary. Talk about an existential crisis when I let go of that OT title. You know, Mm. people, people would ask, well, what do we, what do we put after your name? You know, I would go in to speak to an OT class or I would, you know, well, what do we call you? Uh, it's like, well, you call me Melissa, but what what letters do we put? I said, you don't. And that's okay. You know, my value has not gone down because I'm not using the OT letters after my name. Yeah. Mm. And just because we don't have a title doesn't mean that we don't have all of the education and all of the training and all of the ethical frameworks that went into all of those years of schooling. And that's where I think it's really, it makes me feel a lot of gratitude that I do have the education that I do because it allows me to have that other lens exactly like OT, right? It's not that I'm just going in blindly and supporting people from just my own experience. It's like we've been ingrained to see things from this ethical lens. So I I think pros and cons always, right? We can drop that and we can take what we want from it. And I think that leads us to another, you know, in terms of some hardwiring, some beliefs that were really ingrained through school, through being a student, Asking for permission is a big one. You know, you're, you are given the box to operate within. And in order to succeed, you know, so much of it is asking for permission and being granted by, you know, permission by authority figures in terms of where we do our field work placements, in terms of our schedule, in terms of what's on the syllabus and what we're passing in and how we navigate university. I mean, a lot of it was around asking for permission and are we allowed to do this and are we allowed to do that? And I recognize that, yes, there's a certain level of handholding that has to happen in, in programming, but as an entrepreneur, boy, I spend a lot of time recognizing and telling myself, you don't need someone's permission. You can Mm. do this. You know, if this feels right, if this feels in alignment with your vision, with your core values, with how you want to be showing up, whose permission are you waiting for? Because, you know, there's this idea that, well, 
someone has to tell me it's okay before I can do it. Uh, so I'm much better at it now, but in the early days, you know, I was constantly seeking out other people's approval and, and finding different ways to get permission to do things, which, which doesn't work in the entrepreneurial world. Mm, and I, I'm really happy actually that I feel as if permission is a buzzword right now, like writing yourself a permission slip you know, nobody else needs to tell you that you can do this. It's only you believing that you can. And I, I really agree with that. And I, I often say this to my clients, like, you're waiting for me to tell you, you can do it. But really, like, can you write your own permission slip right now? Like, can you do that? And what might that look like for you? Maybe the listeners would, would like to write themselves a permission slip. I love that exercise. Yeah. yeah. So one of the, another, um, topic, question, layer that I would like to explore with you is around, you know, doing the work that you're doing. So now that you're doing more coaching in the online space, you're doing more mindset coaching, you are holding space for a lot of people. Tell me about some ways that you are setting boundaries and really honoring those boundaries and what that looks like. Hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking back now with my my intro into being on my own to now and how that has shifted and how I really have had to set a lot of boundaries. I think when I first started out, if somebody wanted to meet at 8 p.m. on a Wednesday, I'd be like, yeah, no problem. I'm free. <laughs> or, I can relate to that. <laughs> you know, Saturday 9 a.m., that's the only time I have available and I'd like to work with you. Okay, yeah, sure. No, I can be there. <laughs> Like without a doubt, I would drop everything for the clients. And I've now really recognized that I need to, or I would like to be a model for them and their own boundaries. And the only way that they're going to learn is, is through myself having my own boundaries as well and recognizing that the more that I put into myself and filling my cup, that again, overflows to them. Similarly to what you were describing earlier, mm -hmm. Melissa. And now... I'll, I'll only take clients from Monday to Thursday, only in the morning. So, you know, my morning sessions are for my clients. Afternoon is content creation, getting everything ready for them, you know, creating more programs, all of the things that happen behind the scenes when you're an entrepreneur. Yes. And I would say that that has been really the, the most impactful shift that I've made. Um, yeah, that, that's the one that comes to mind. Nice. What about, so in terms of, you know, for those of us who are attracted to the coaching world and we are healers and how do you draw the line or what kind of awareness do you bring? Because we had talked, you know, you had made reference about you being, you identify as a rescuer and boy, that hit me in the heart. And then, oh, she's speaking my language. In <laughs> um, so how do you distinguish or how do you bring awareness to when you are doing that as work and when that starts to impede on, and I don't want to say impede because it's not a bad thing, but when we start to bring that, that rescuing trait into our relationship, relationships, so our personal relationships. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we, we briefly touched upon this, which was around the point of when something is impactful in my life, like maybe 
I'm upset about something or I'm frustrated about something. It's so easy for me to just open up my client files, look around a few things, you know, brainstorm what I want to do in the next session rather than closing my computer, sitting with myself and processing through what was just making me upset, what was just making me frustrated. So absolutely, I will use my work as a coping mechanism. And it's such a justifiable one, right? Oh, I'm, I'm helping my clients. I'm saving the world, whatever the story is in my head that I tell myself of why that's appropriate. And really learning to increase my awareness in that area and just being able to vocally share that with anyone. You know, I, I think I type that to you and just, I don't know you, just vocalizing that because that's what's present for me. And it doesn't make me a horrible person. doesn't make me a horrible therapist. doesn't, doesn't do anything at all. It's really just words. So I, I think that you know, you relating to that also, you know, that allows connection, right? The people listening to us adding connection. That's my, my goal really. And really unpackaging the different ways that we connect with others, the different ways that, you know, I'm much more competent at holding space for my clients than I am for my family and my friends. So with my family and my friends, I'm much more, it's a lot harder for me to sit back. I want to fix things. So to see family and friends in pain, especially emotional pain, I want to fix that. And Mm. that's something that I've really become aware of um, the last year, especially with men. You know, it's really, I, I'm, I, I want to fix it and honoring that we all have to, you know, we're all on our own journey. And sometimes that journey can take us to some dark places and that's part of it. We need to be in those dark places to sometimes see the light. And for me to be okay with those I love go into those dark places and being on their own journey, it's something I can struggle with. Uh, but I've also learned that I cannot, nor should I coach friends or family. I do not. That's a boundary that I have very clearly set um, because I recognize, you know, that's not, if you're going to come to me, if you're going to, if I'm the phone number that you use, or if I'm who you turn to as a friend when you're in a really tough situation, um, that's great, but I am not your coach. We cannot cross that line. And that was something that, you know, again, I, I think we all have to figure out, um, but not to be someone, you know, you can't, you can't be their therapist, their coach, if you're also their friend or their family member. Uh, so yeah, that's been something that we know, you know, cognitively, I know that, Mm. but it's something that I'm certainly, especially now that I'm self-employed, right? It's a lot easier for people to ask, well, you know, can I just talk to you about it? And can't you be my coach? And I have, you know, friends who will give me a call. Oh, can you just coach me through this? Well, I can Mm -hmm. talk to you about, you know, as a friend, but honoring that coaching relationship when we, yeah, it's, it's tricky. And it's something that I've definitely continued to work on over the years. Mm, yeah, it's so much harder when we're emotionally invested, right? That's what makes the coaching role so much easier to see what's going on with folks and be able to reflect back, oh, when I'm zoomed out and looking into your experience, it looks like XX and X is happening. But when we know who it is, our family member, our partner, we know so many more details and we have that emotional involvement and emotional connection, which doesn't allow us that strength of zooming out like we would be able to with the clients. Totally, totally. And, you know, again, yeah, there's just so many different ways that we, you know, we 
it's not even that we're not thinking clearly. It's just having a, a different perspective and being that grounding presence. You know, it's, it's much, I don't even want to say easier because coaching and holding space for others, it's not, it's not easy. It's not for everyone, um, but doing it in a way, you know, and again, it comes back to my boundaries around work, you know, around my phone, around my laptop. When I show up on my coaching calls, now I'm grounded, I'm present, I've made sure I've taken the time to prepare emotionally, physically, mentally for our coaching calls. And, you know, it's it's different than everyday living where you're, you know, going out for coffee with a friend and being able to have some of these heartfelt conversations where you can let your guard down, you know, mm. and that's part of it too, is being able to Knowing when you're coaching and then knowing when you're simply having a healing conversation with someone that can hold space for you. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Such an important reminder. Uh, so as we start to wrap this up, I'm curious, do you, so in terms of having somebody to hold space or to reflect back to us some of the things, you know, some of the struggles that we're going through. Do, are you part of a coaching program? Do you work with your own coach? Do you work with your own therapist? So who do you have in your, um, basically, you know, who's on your team to help, to help provide you with some guidance and some, some much needed space? Hmm. I'm a huge advocate of receiving support also. It, it really depends on, on the moment. I love what you said earlier around, we don't need a coach at all times, but at frequent times. And, and that's how I go about it. So like I had mentioned earlier, I just finished that six month business course. So I had a business coach that was side by side with me. Um, I've had therapists in the past, many therapists. Sometimes you have to try hard and hard and harder, and then you find the right one. So just a reminder for anyone who's uh, listening, thank don't you. give up on the therapy search. <laughs> I haven't found mine yet. And it's uh. been it's it's been a long, I found some amazing coaches, um, but in terms of a therapist, it's, uh, it's been a struggle. I'm not going to lie. I've been searching and I have not found the right person in quite some time. I've given, mm. I've given a few people we've, we've dated, we've never gone serious. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Still on the first date level. Yeah. Um, and I'm always doing courses or retreats. Like I, this past weekend, I did a, a weekend retreat with two coaches and it was all around sensuality and empowerment and women's health. And so whatever the next thing is, that's a growth edge for me. I seek that opportunity. Yeah. Yes. Personal growth, uh, you know, and the idea that entre entrepreneurship is personal growth on steroids. And, you know, when someone said that I was laughing I didn't realize that when I first started this entrepreneurial journey uh, mm. in terms of how many layers there would be of personal growth and development. Um, yeah, it's a big part of the entrepreneurial journey, isn't it? This has been hands down the biggest growth journey of my life, entrepreneurship. Like without a doubt, it has so many challenges and so many opportunities for transforming. I feel like I have stripped off everything and I'm standing here naked and also in a safe way with that support. We remember we can do it. Oh, I love that. I love that. So on this note, how do people find you? So tell us where people can, you know, where do you hang out and how they can connect or how they can read more about you? 
I hang out most on Instagram. So you can find me at, at Raya Lynn, R-H-A-Y-A-L-Y-N-N-N. I'm sure Melissa will drop it in the notes. And yeah, I have one-on-one programs. That's the best way that I love to work with folks in this moment of time. So I usually go on three-month journeys with folks. And whether you be experiencing burnout, having a a transition moment in your life, you're a high achiever, you kind of got to the top of the mountain, you're looking out and wondering, I thought all my problems were going to be solved when I got here. And you're still feeling that inner voice, like something's missing. I want to dive deeper. Those are the folks that I love working with and really stepping into confidence, clarity, and ease in an efficient way. So not wasting any time, really getting to the root of it and diving right in. So that's what I love to do. If any of that speaks to you, find me on Instagram and say, I found you through Melissa and I'll know what you're talking about. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for this. I feel like I could talk to you for another five hours. Um, You're going back to Bali and how long are you going for? Do you know? Is it up in the air right now? Well, we have been living there pretty permanently. I would say that's our home base. Um, we didn't get onto the minimalist topic. I live out oh. of two suitcases. Love um, it. So mainly Bali will be there until the next the next event. Um, so yeah, that's that's the next thing for me. Okay. Well, I will include your website and I will include your Instagram account. And if anyone wants to reach out, um, I'm going to send them your way. And yes, I'm probably going to miss seeing you because we won't be going down to the coast we're also in a pandemic um but when you're back in canada or maybe the world will open up a little bit more we were planning a 2021 international trip and i don't know if it's we haven't done a lot of planning yet um but it was meant to be new zealand and australia we were going to finally get over to see our australian colleagues and friends uh we'll see i don't know if it's going to happen it was supposed to happen winter 2021 and Mm -hmm. here we are so when we make that trip um maybe we could do a retreat in bali wouldn't that be fun my goodness let's do a retreat in bali yeah yeah (laughs) i i like see podcasting world's amazing we might get a retreat in bali out of it um all right well thank you again so much this has been um, it's been lovely it just feels like i've been able to chat with a friend which is why i love i love this podcast so much Mm, thanks for the opportunity thanks melissa okay we'll talk to you soon Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the OT's Gone Rogue podcast, where we're all about making deeper connections by leaning in to the difficult conversations. Make sure you're subscribed if you haven't already, because we've got some more awesome episodes coming your way. Take care, and we'll see you next week.